0: Greetings, brothers and sisters of the leaf, and thank you for downloading Cigars with Spurgeon. We did it. We've surpassed 1,000 downloads. Our podcast is truly the smallest of potatoes, so this is a real milestone. And to celebrate, I will send out a Yeti cup to one listener. The drawing will take place on July 4th. To get a chance to win, just share this episode or any episode on social media, then send a link or screenshot of your post to cigarswithspurgeon at gmail.com. Yeti cups are amazing, and this one is special. It's black and has a Spurgeon quote and his signature etched into it. Don't miss your chance to have it. Thanks for helping more people hear about Charles Haddon Spurgeon and the gospel message he preached and loved. To further celebrate, my friend Brian Hanks came over to record an episode and gave me a gift. He gave me a new pipe and a Lord of the Rings tribute blend called Longbottom Bottom Leaf. I consider myself deeply and richly blessed to have Brian as a friend and a spiritual mentor. If you haven't heard my previous conversations with him, go back and listen to the episode about faith or the one about baptism. The topic of today's episode is the argument from the gospel by Neil Shenvey. If you haven't heard of him before, he's the real deal. Neil was homeschooling his kids long before coronavirus gave us all a taste of that. But I think his real passion is sharing the gospel and apologetic resources with the body of Christ. I'll link to his website in the show notes, as well as a talk he gave for Faith Ascent Ministries. Before we get into the episode, here's a word about my home church Blue Valley Baptist Church is an exciting, rapidly growing congregation worshiping in the Kansas City metropolitan area and the heart of Johnson County, Kansas. Though our church is literally bursting with young families, it reaches people of all ages. Those who worship with us each week are from all over the metro, including both sides of the state line. Blue Valley believes passionately that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the unifying center around which everything else is built and from which all ministry flows. Our mission is to glorify God by helping people everywhere to understand what it means to follow Jesus using the five habits of a Jesus follower surrender, sustain, sacrifice, shine, and share. Our vision is to become a multiplying church that is actively establishing local campuses and planting autonomous churches locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally by 2028. Our hope is that you'll visit us soon to find out more. Come join us for worship in person or online and visit our website to find out about our staff, ministries, missions, upcoming events, and how you can partner with BVBC to carry out the Multiply 2028 vision. The website is bluevalleybaptist.org. That's bluevalleybaptist.org. Now here's my conversation with Brian Hanks. Do you have anything that you
1: want to say about a thousand? No, it's exciting. And, uh, I really do hope that, uh, you know, whoever's downloaded, wherever has been, uh, you know, edified and blessed by this and uh, at least, uh, you know, has had an increase in their interest in the life and times and work of C.H. Uh, Spurgeon and, uh, you know, theology and, uh, let's say, doctrine in general. So, uh, hope you're hope you're edified in addition to liking and uh, sharing. I think, you know, sharing where you're from or sharing, uh, you know, just kind of maybe what you liked the best or interested in or 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 even want to hear more of would be uh would be good feedback just for the podcast
0: yeah i would love to have people write to me i've had one person so far specifically write in about like one specific episode to let me know that uh that he was grateful to to hear it um and that was the one with micah hayes where we talked about spurgeon's struggles with depression and anxiety and all of his health issues good and uh yeah, that was encouraging to me that that someone else, um, you know, heard that and that it, you know, was meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. So um, I would like to hear more of that. We do have uh, so far a five star rating on Apple Podcasts.
1: Okay, I, I I know I had some responsibility for
0: that. So <laughs> okay, um, so you're one of the three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no reviews yet, but I mean the five-star rating speaks for itself. It does, yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I would like people to rate it. Really, I would like them to rate it if they have, you know, good thoughts. And if they don't have good thoughts, then I hope they're gentle and um, leave some constructive criticism. Don't just, like, give it a one-star and then run. So in Sunday School class, we've been talking about the gospel, uh, about sharing the gospel uh, with our friends and neighbors, um, building bridges. We've been talking about The unity in the church and that the gospel is something we need to unify around. Um, So there's been a lot of of, uh, talk specifically about the gospel message itself and uh, we had a person in our class whose son was witnessing to a neighbor and um, the neighbor asked him why we should believe that Christianity is true uh, as opposed to some other religion or no religion at all and you know for one thing i I was really proud that uh we have someone whose whose kids are witnessing um so that is that is awesome because that's more than i do in a typical week Mm. Um, I, i do not share the gospel with people the way that you'd think i would given the urgency so i was encouraged and challenged by that but at the same time the the question kind of stumped us. Stump- not just stumped uh, the boy that was sharing, but also kind of stumped our classroom. You know, what do you say to someone? And so I actually uh, ran across a source. I, it came to mind. It was something I saw years ago, and, uh, and I thought this was relevant not only because of that question about, about how we can know Christianity is true, but our justification for believing Christianity, uh, but also because of the, the Sunday school lessons regarding the gospel itself. So before I jump into that, a Spurgeon-related
1: um, quote about First Peter 3.15. So this is First uh, Peter 3.15 from the ESV translation. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So what we're really at here is kind of at the... Uh, you know, this question that arose right the nexus of evangelism and apologetics mm-hmm. um where where the two definitely meet and um how it's a challenge i think you know at all at all ages both as you know we share the gospel ourselves as we uh, encourage our kids to raise them um in that way as well and uh it really ended up being an exciting question that came up in our class it's a it's a young family Sunday school class. Um, you know, the kid we're talking about is, I think, just maybe a sixth grader or something like that, and uh, was both an encouragement to us and to his parents, and uh, just raised a lot of important questions of how do we uh, how do we address it in a in a meaningful way, in a way that we can defend from Scripture and really uh, utilize the opportunity to uh, introduce apologetics into our evangelism, but also. Uh, you know, see the Gospel in apologetics. So, Spurgeon, in his commentary on 1 Peter 3,
0: reiterated the sentiment expressed in that verse itself. It's, he says, have your doctrinal views and all your knowledge of Christ packed away in a handy form, so that when people want to know what you believe, you can tell them. If they wish to know why you believe that you are saved, have your answer already in a few plain, simple sentences. And in the gentlest and most modest spirit, make your confession of faith, to the praise and glory of God. Who knows but what such good seed will bring forth an abundant harvest? So yeah, he's just reiterating the importance of sharing the gospel, and doing it, you know, gently and with respect. So this is this I felt was very relevant. Uh, This is from Neil Shenvey. Uh, Neil Shenvey is a theoretical chemist. Uh, He has came from Princeton undergrad, he got his PhD at UC Berkeley, and did postdoc work at Yale. So, uh, solid scientific credentials. He is a homeschooled dad, and he has a lot of materials online uh, sharing his experience homeschooling, and also Moonlights as an apologist. I say Moonlights, it's it's actually um, you know a, a big part of what he does these days. You can hear most of his work lately has been addressing... And analyzing critical race theory so that's what you see a lot of if you're looking up his most recent debates and articles and uh, interviews and whatnot Um, but he has a lot of apologetics material as well for his church and and on his blog and this was what he called the argument from the gospel Um, he at various points also calls it the gospel as apologetic Um, and and really he's asking you know how How is it that we can feel justified, Uh, because not everyone actually, you know, there's arguments for God's existence. We have the Kalam cosmological argument, Mm -hmm. the ontological argument, moral arguments, all those kinds of things, but not everyone is actually even aware of all those. So if people aren't aware of arguments for God's existence or arguments for Christian faith, then... How can they be justified? Can they be justified? Or, or is it just kind of guesswork for them? Do they just have to you know, believe grandma or something like that? And so this argument that he proposes is a, a new argument and yet you'll see later it's, it's actually the oldest argument. So this is the argument from the
2: gospel. So what is the argument from the gospel? And it's four premises, four claims, and if those claims are true, then the conclusion is that Christianity is true, uniquely true. So here are the four claims. First, if a religion or a philosophy or an ideology or any sort of grand worldview, if that religion or that ideology makes unique claims, important claims, unique, really existential, deep, meaningful claims, to all, that there's no other religion, out of left field, there's no other religion or ideology that makes those claims the unique claims and those claims are true, then the most probable explanation is the religion or ideology itself is true. Two. Well, Christianity actually does make two unique claims way out in left field about the radical nature of sin, of human sin, and two, a radical need for rescue or salvation. I'm claiming, so Christianity makes two such claims, two unique claims among all religions, among all ideologies that are unique. It makes those two claims. And three, and four, those claims are true. We are, it is true that we are radically corrupted at a root level. We are tainted, we are stained by sin. And four, we are radically in need of rescue. Something outside of ourselves has to come into our lives to forgive us and to restore us. We can't do it ourselves. Okay. Those are the four premises I'm going to defend. And if those four premises are true, then Christianity is uniquely true. Or at least we have reason to believe that Christianity is uniquely true.
0: So that's the argument from the gospel as Neil Chenvi formulated it. It's actually, it's, it's simple. It's, uh, you know, s- structurally valid, right? Mm-hmm. So his argument is, is just that Christianity is probably true. So he's trying to, you know, if something is probably true, then we are, you know, Rationally justified in believing it to right. be true. So, so he has a uh, he makes an analogy to help us understand the structure of his argument and the logic behind it. Sort of the logic of that first premise: if a religion or ideology is unique in its affirmation of deep existential truths about the human condition, then it is probably true. And he says uh, that he he proposes this analogy of a person playing a game of pickup basketball who collapses during the game, right? And one of his friends says, just walk it off. Another person says it could be sprained. I have an ACE bandage in my car. Um, Someone else says there's a pharmacy down the street. You'll need some Advil. But a woman on the side says, listen, I'm a doctor. I saw what happened. We need to get this man to a hospital immediately. His life is in danger. This man can't feel his legs and he can't move. So everyone else thinks the woman is overreacting and doubts her credentials, but the one who collapsed says, take me to the hospital. And the reason is because he has immediate access to his true condition. Hmm. He knows that he uh, can't feel his legs and he can't move. So he knows he's in big trouble. The uniqueness and the correctness of her predictions about his symptoms leads him to believe and trust her, right? She looked at his symptoms and proposed a diagnosis that was less likely to be true. She took a risk, you know, there's hmm. a, a risk in that kind of, um, and by going out on limb on like like that, she's making a prediction. And this sort of reasoning actually underlies the scientific method as well, right? We, right? we make predictions using some theory, and then those predictions are found to be true. It increases the probability that the theory is true, that it's an accurate representation of reality. Mm-hmm. So I, I think a person couldn't really argue with the logic of this argument without undermining... You know this whole scientific enterprise Mm -hmm. and uh, that makes sense coming from a guy like Neil Shenvey he goes on to flesh out the argument by highlighting the uniqueness of Christianity among world religions in its affirmation of these truths such as the gravity of our condition and our inability to help ourselves this is a five-part series of blog posts Um, in the last post in the series he admits that the argument is a failure which is interesting. Hmm. And he says, it's not because it isn't valid or because the premises are false, but because the only way people can come to believe the argument is for their hearts to be regenerated. Hmm. Other apologetic arguments can be accepted and affirmed without regeneration. And, and I actually, I know some atheists who are ready and willing to say the Kalam cosmological argument is true and its conclusion is true the universe has a cause, but that's it. The universe has a cause. Mm -hmm. Um, The KCA technically doesn't say anything about God. Um, You'd have to append other arguments to it in order to conclude that the cause of the universe is God. William Lane Craig, when he defends it, always does that. He always goes on. But it's almost like an introductory point to get out of the way, you know, initially, as the universe has a cause. If we can't agree on that, then... We're never going to be able to argue to a Creator, to someone who doesn't think right. the universe even has a cause. So you can believe something like Kalam Cosmological Argument without being a regenerate regenerated believer. We can even come to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, yet remain in our sins. So like in Scripture tells us, even Satan believes that to be true. Right. The utility of the argument is that it re-centers our evangelistic efforts on the Gospel itself rather than on ancillary arguments. Um, The argument itself is just a formal reiteration of the truths that all Christians already believe. We're sinners and we need to be rescued. If someone doesn't believe that, they're not a Christian. Right. The gospel is self-authenticating in this way. So we are all rationally justified in our acceptance of Christianity over other religions or no religion at all. And this argument is just helping us articulate that fact to our non-believing friends and neighbors. So I found that very useful. Um, is there anything you want to
1: add? Well, I think the you know the kalam cosmological argument. It obviously I think it conflicts with premise one of this because it you get to a point, but you don't get to uniqueness of uh, of causation, right? This one, I mean, it seems you know if we talk about it requiring a uh, you know regenerate heart to uh, you know go all the way in accepting this, does that not put us in our proper place as believers as we share our faith? You know we can only take a uh, non-believer to a certain point and then you know the spirit <clears throat> does the work as opposed to so much of apologetics and you know, we think we have to talk a person into something and then close the close the deal yeah. with them and um, I think that puts undue pressure on a believer I think it becomes a discouragement to a believer because we all recognize our limitations we've all you know experienced failures in that so uh, you know this is uh this is interesting because it does uh you know bring a person to the edge and only the the spirit you know we're we're talking uh you know on a spurgeon podcast here so we're uh, we're all soundly uh, reformed calvinists here we can we yeah. can say that um you know we're, we're relying on god to to draw his elect um to to faith in christ to to saving faith so that's an interesting aspect of this
0: yeah so I feel like whichever way you go with that if, if you're talking about like sort of those classical arguments they can be simultaneously humbling and and sort of pride inducing because we can get the feeling like I understand these arguments I'm more rationally justified than my neighbor or my kids or something like that mm-hmm. you know um, you know maybe they need a good solid college education before they can really consider this themselves believers or even more dangerously, sometimes we could end up having, you know, a sense of uh, arrogance um, when we're talking to non-believers. You know, if we want to say something like that, they only are non-believers because they haven't studied the arguments that we have.
1: Mm.
0: So so uh, we can be, you know, filled with pride in that regard. And then, you know, in when our results are, are fruitless, then we're humiliated. So it promises a lot and delivers very little in that regard and i feel like this this argument is kind of the opposite of that in in every respect Um, because this one says listen no one's ever going to believe this it's a failure of an argument in that regard but you can still use it and talk to your neighbors with the confidence that your faith is justified just uh, in in its uniqueness among world religions and whatnot we can offer this uh, as a way of speaking confidently about our faith, and and we don't have to hide behind a false sense of humility, like, well, maybe I shouldn't really believe or something like that. Mm-hmm. I still feel like we can we can be exactly as confident as we need to be, given what we know, given given the the fact that the Holy Spirit uh, has regenerated our hearts and lives within us. So, yeah. That's... So
1: taking it back to the top, my twelve-year-old is out in the cul-de-sac. Talking to the neighbor kid, and uh, you know, just like the situation we talked about, how do we, how do we, how do we parent that? How do we, uh, you know, possibly engage their parents or our neighbors, you know, using this argument? What's the, what's the takeaway when we're challenged with, uh, well, how do I know this is, you know, even valid or real?
0: So I think, on sort of the classical apologetic approach, we think of all of our arguments as we're just clearing away objections so that the person can come to faith. And on this one, I, I don't think of it as clearing away an objection per se. Just as a sort of a personal, why are you so confident? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think there it's it's just a... Um, it's a probabilistic thing. If someone's asking me, I wouldn't want to like you know give it, give them this particular argument and feed it to them: premise one, premise two, premise three, conclusion. You know, uh, in that form. But just to say, I, I would center uh, you know on on those two facts that we are radically sinful and we're in need of rescue. So as a uh, as a child, I, I can remember being convinced that I'm in need of a savior just because that's what I went to church that's what I'd always been told I think everyone has access to their own their own heart in terms of you know they know how they feel they know how they behave when no one's watching that kind of thing and I have run into people who say that they never commit sin of any kind even when you define sin very generically you know if if you take it back from saying sin I think our church, when we teach little kids what sin is, we say it's anything we think, say, or do Mm -hmm. that goes against God's law. Right. But, I mean, just in terms of the language itself, I think you can take sin to be any sort of a deviation from any moral principle. So if your idea of moral rules or principles is centered on God's existence or God's Mm -hmm. law, then that's going to be what a sin is. If, however, you're a non-believer, you still have... Moral rules and principles, Mm -hmm. you know, even non-believers Do things like take out credit cards and promise to pay them back, (laughs) you know Um, And so if you're late on a credit card payment, then you've gone and violated a moral rule And uh, you can get like really, really abstract and generic with your definition of sin And, And I think that's one of the things that brought me sort of back to faith Was coming to believe that it actually doesn't matter how I define sin it doesn't matter at all I'm I, I, I'm guilty I'm guilty of committing right. some kind of sin you know even even if it's down to I was late on a mortgage payment or um, something like that you know if you now some people will sort of arbitrarily define sin um, they'll want to say something like well I mean I haven't killed a guy right but I think as long as we can talk with someone on a on a reasonable level and um, they become convinced that you know that we do in fact live in a world where we got to lock our doors at night, you know, mm. um, where we can't just leave our, our wallets laying around and things like that, that, that we can't give out our computer passwords to people, you know, because we know that somewhere out there is, is someone who's bad. So we recognize that there's sin out there in the world. we we'll just point that at yourself. And eventually, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where I would say that you'd have to start. That's what this argument sort of. Rather than talking about, you know, the the nature of causation, um, you know, or the sort of ontological definitions of God and things like that, I find those extremely useful, extremely helpful. But when you're talking to someone, when you're specifically trying to share the gospel with them or when you're trying to answer their question, why? why are you a christian as opposed to something else Mm -hmm. as long as you can stick to you know hey we are radically sinful and there's really not any other worldviews out there that make that case as strongly as christianity does
1: that's very true and um i think even more unique is the solution to that issue of course back to back to premise one but Mm uh yeah i think that's i think that's right i think um you know, it, it distills back down to uh, you know, a clearly outlined presentation of of the gospel, however we choose to do that in our own interactions and in our own styles according to our personalities or, or things like that. The message is is the same and it gets to the same issue where a person has to has to really recognize those, you know, premise three and premise four first and almost then back in to to the first two. You know, it's it's a process. There's no uh there's no zinger here yeah uh
0: yeah totally agree i still occasionally jump on the internet and argue with atheists online and and not ever once have i ever come close to convincing someone to be a christian in any of those kinds of forums and and i think uh you know more and more that it's just a complete waste of not just a waste of my time but probably one of the worst things i could be doing at at that moment because um something more like you know this uh, like a personal relationship with someone where you're face to face with them over you know drinks or something like that or talking with someone at work someone who knows you and and sees your life and and
1: trusts you that you're not trying to you know pull one over on them right or just or just try to win an argument on the internet um, which is which is futile I think in in most cases as we uh, are, are recording something to put out on the internet (laughs) <laughs> um, who we'll recognize our own futility, but hopefully uh you know, it just kind of gives a resource and another way to think about it. And I'm sure you're gonna put links to these blogs if you're yeah. uh, if you're a reader of those things into the into the notes and uh well. What the tie in with Spurgeon is the uh is the commentary on the verse in First Peter, but also his fervent and unceasing passion for evangelism and sharing the gospel in, yeah. in every walk of life and everywhere he went and um Kind of back back to the top that's what we're talking about in our uh, in our small group is just how we how we engage that and, and who are the the actual real people in our lives that we're uh, sharing the hope of the gospel with
0: yeah, so I will direct people to Neil's blog um, his writing is clear and accessible mm-hmm. um, I think it's very compelling as well. I was um, directed to some of his Apologetic resources back before I recommitted to Christ, and um, and so I was happy to share with him uh, when I did that that, mm. that he was part of that journey for me, and I'm grateful for it to this day. I will direct people to that. I I also can mention um, I I told Neil that I would be recording an episode about this, and he reminded me that um, he's got a book upcoming with Crossway, and there's going to be three chapters out of it that are devoted to the gospel as apologetic. Excellent. So uh, that'll be a good resource once it comes out. I'll probably you know tweet it out or something like that when whenever it's released. I think it's getting released next year. Okay. Uh, I got Spurgeon's commentary on First Peter three from Precept Austin. Is there anything that uh, you think we should cover in a
1: future episode? Any, any direction that you want to take it? Well, you really uh, you really put me on the spot. I know uh, I know I owe you a conversation on. Uh some of Spurgeon's biographies or uh biographies that were written about him so maybe delve back a little more into the uh the life of Spurgeon well written about numerous numerous books I mean thousands of pages devoted to accounts of his life but uh maybe point you in the direction of some some good resources there as well as we uh as we stick to the topic of uh the life and uh and ministry of of Spurgeon and how that impacts us today and uh you know, try to take our conversations and, uh, you know, directly or loosely relate them to uh, to that topic. My wife just bought me the Dalimore biography. So. Excellent. Um, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot.
0: No, that's all I got. <laughs> thank you for listening, and thank you again for helping us reach one thousand downloads. Rate, subscribe, and share the podcast to help us reach even more people. You can contact me at cigarswithspurgeon at gmail dot com. Or on Twitter, where my handle is at cigars with CHS. Check out the show notes for Spurgeon's commentary on 1 Peter 3.15, Neil Shenvi's Gospel as Apologetic, and a link to Blue Valley Baptist Church's website. Now here's Brian Hanks with the benediction.
1: Yeah, our benediction is from uh, Jude 24 and 25.
0: I'm proud that up until now, um, unlike some Christian culture podcasts, I haven't uh, promulgated any gross error or, uh, you know, or or deconverted, you know, so we're at least
1: in good standings so far, I think. You know, I think uh, think you're eligible for uh, heresy once you hit a million. I think that's the status. We have a ways to go there.